I'm Siri. I'm like Ray, but I'm a witcher, and I'm gonna be a great witcher, and me and Geralt, we're gonna be the best witchers of all the witches. <laughs> That's how I hear Siri in my head. Oh, God bless her. He has to make plenty of compromising decisions to protect Siri once he's decided to do that. Spoiler alert, it's at the end of the season already, and it's gonna be for the whole thing. It's Geralt and Siri. I'm Siri. I'm gonna be a witcher with Geralt, the best witcher of all the witches. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Hey, folks, The Bizzle here. About to take you into the intro and then my top five predictions for The Witcher Season 2 on Netflix. I was having some computer issues uh, with my microphone, um, but I was having good ideas, so I recorded it on my iPhone uh, uh, via headset. Um, so predictions, I think, two through four are going to sound a little distant, like, you know, I was recording in the car. Um, I got my computer and mic working again, um, and so the, the end of this uh, sounds fine. Um, uh, but if, you know, in the middle of the podcast, if, if it starts sounding a little distant um, and, and weird, that is why, because I recorded it into my phone. So I apologize about that but it was just you know it was like 45 minutes i'd have to re-record um and uh you guys are here for the content and you know bizzlecast is known for my sound quality if nothing else 99 percent of the time uh and uh it shouldn't be an issue again so without further ado let me take you into the intro and my five predictions for the witcher season two on netflix all right ladies and gentlemen of the bizzlecast finally back with some more witcher podcasts uh, just absolutely gobsmacked and happy and honored with how many downloads of my Witcher commentaries and Witcher podcasts I got back in December and early January. And the plan was to cover everything leading up to season two, like I did with one, all the behind the scenes and the videos and the interviews. And then, of course, the virus hit. And now COVID has basically stopped everything. And while The Witcher has actually started shooting again, um, I may mention a few things about this. Um, I was like, you know what? I didn't realize how well The Witcher podcast did until somewhat recently, because I wasn't monitoring it that closely after I was taking a break from the podcasts. Um, and, uh, again, was really blown away, um, with the numbers, uh, and feedback I got from, uh, from them. Um, so first of all, thank you guys so much. I love The Witcher. I love talking about The Witcher, and I love that you love The Witcher, and I love that you at least like listening to me talk about The Witcher, commentate on The Witcher, and so forth. As I've said before, as great as the first season is, and I love the short story books that they're based on, The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny, it's essentially a prequel, um, and the, you know, Lord of the Rings part, the high fantasy 
uh, section of the main Siri saga, as I call it, the Siri Pentology, um, which is a five-book series, starts in earnest uh, next season. And we're going to have to wait so long for it because of the virus situation. Um, but when we get it, it's really going to blow people away if they haven't read the books and or played the video games. Um, because while Geralt was amazing, everyone loves Henry Cavill, and Yennefer blew people away, um, whether they were expecting it or not, with Anya Chalotra's spectacular performance. I ain't seen nothing yet with uh, with Freya Allen. He's not a helpless, uh, scared Disney princess of the woods, uh, but is going to start out quite cocky, training as both the Witcher and the Sorceress. Uh, and, uh, become more and more powerful and complicated. Also funny and scary and just one of the most interesting, maybe the most interesting fantasy character, um, ever. Certainly the most interesting and developed sort of messiah character ever, uh, starting uh, next season, which will be based on the first book of the series Pentology, The Blood of Elves. Um, but I am here today to start a new series of Witcher podcasts in the meantime until they really start filming the new season in earnest, um, which is going to be a number of sort of lists uh, slash prediction podcasts um, for next season and future seasons. I'm going to talk about characters. I'm going to talk about locations. I'm going to talk about uh, where the show is going to, I think, differ uh, somewhat uh, greatly or, or in greater or lesser ways from the book. Some ways they're going to be very similar. I'm going to talk about the, you know, the series we know is happening uh, about um, Vesemir uh, and, and as well as learning the early history of the Witchers in general. We, now we know we're getting sort of the earliest part of history, the conjunction of the spheres when, you know, elves and humans come from other planets, and, and now we got Andrei Sapkowski, the writer, involved, which we didn't think. There's so many great things going on as they keep adding more and more properties, but they're properties that a new lore that we haven't gotten before, um, expanding the universe um, with either new characters or different time periods that we haven't gotten and so I want to formally welcome you to the next phase of the Bizzle series of The Witcher podcasts. And uh, the, the first couple ones I'm going to do are going to be um, sort of top five, uh, top ten lists. Uh, that'll be kind of fun. Um, and it'll be somewhat speculative, or very speculative, um, but it's going to be based on a combination of the books, uh, what we've heard from Lauren Histrick, the showrunner, the writers, the actors, uh, but the books especially, um, and what I think work from the books and the shows, and, and therefore will be brought into the shows, and, and what things they might uh, change, and so forth. So in this first podcast... I'm going to bring to you five predictions of what I think is going to uh, happen or be a part of season two of The Witcher. But before we get started, I got to set some ground rules and I got to make some promises and I got to let you know some promises that I might break and some promises that I might keep. If you listen to my Witcher commentaries, you know I try really hard not to spoil things. But I also had to mention a few things like Vilgefortz, um, they are clearly setting up as the big baddie, um, because they're clearly going to be, just like Yennefer has become a main character way earlier than in the books, Vilgefortz has become a main character way earlier in the books, and if you didn't think Vilgefortz was the bad guy by the end of the season, you weren't really watching. Um, I was able to restrain myself as to how big of a villain Vilgefortz will be, how long he's in it, and what he does, 
Um, but it was just because of the excitement, and I felt like, you know, one of the complaints about the first season, for example, uh, was that, you know, the, ba- the, the main bad guy characters weren't that exciting. Um, but the side ones, uh, who seemed to, or, or who seemed to be side ones, and, and were introduced late, like Vilgefortz and so forth, are actually the interesting and important ones. And so uh, it was sort of an assurance that, yes, guys, we've got some great good guy characters you can get behind, but seriously, is a lot different than she has been portrayed so far, trust me. And a lot of the mages, men and women, um, are much more complicated in terms of their desires, political machinations, and so forth uh, than we've seen so far. Um, so one of the things I can't promise is that I won't tease anything past uh, the, the next season. Um, but I will promise to, to limit... Um, well, let me back that up a little bit. So, the first rule is, I, I have to talk about The Blood of Elves, at least, which is the next book. And if nothing else, they're going to do The Blood of Elves, which is the first book of the Siri saga, the Siri pentology, next season. Um, in order to refresh my memory, and um, this is the part where I say, go read the book and or the audiobook, they're both spectacular, and then come back. If you don't really care then you can listen to me. I'm going to read a sort of modified version of the various wiki entries online that summarize it in four or five paragraphs along with some commentary of my own in order to refresh my memory and your memory of the book. Um, and so I can hone in on certain points, specifically having to do with names, places, you know, uh, governments, uh, you know, kingdoms, political, military forces, and so forth. Um, So I'm going to start with the summary and work uh, from there, um, sort of work outwards um, to, uh, uh, you know, bringing in what I think is going to, you know, be a part of the season itself. Um, And so I'm going to assume that you have read the book uh, that I'm talking about. Now I prom- so the promise I'm going to make is that I'm going to limit the uh, quote-unquote spoilers to things that happen in the Blood of Elves um, as exclusively as possible. But just as an example, I've been predicting slash thinking, and we'll see uh, if this comes up in my prediction. This might have changed. You'll have to listen. But I've been predicting slash thinking for a while. Uh, to myself and out loud uh, that they're actually going to start working uh, in Time of Contempt, the second series book, into the first season for a number of reasons having to do with pacing and for getting the bigger story going and getting this shit to hit the fans sooner than it does in the books um, rather than waiting until the middle of the second book. Uh, which I'm not going to mention yet. And so, um, while I, I said I will only be spoiling things from the, the Blood of Elves, or I should say mentioning things from the Blood of Elves that you guys have read, I'm going to assume. In this particular one, I'm also going to, at, uh, I'll wait until towards the end, talk about the first three or four chapters of Time of Contempt, which is the next book. Uh, because even though that's the middle of book two of the series saga, it's actually the uh, uh, the cataclysm uh, of which all the rest of the series revolves around when all the shit hits the fan 
and all of the players, good and evil, are are uh, <laughs> taken for a loop to say the least uh, in the least expected time when they should expect it, but they don't because of complacency and magic and so forth. Um, and so I will save that for my final prediction, which is that I think they might um, end the last couple episodes of season one with the first few chapters of book two of the series saga. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to have to clarify the book situation. Um, for now on, books one through five will refer to the Siri books, starting with Blood of Elves at one, Time of Contempt at two, and going all the way to uh, Lady of the Lake at five. Uh, the first season, which is taken totally from the short stories, The Last Wish and Sort of Destiny, I will refer to as such. That will be the first season or the short story books slash prequels, as I call them, even though they were written first, still prequels. Um, I'll make that very clear. Um, but just for the sake of brevity and moving forward, when I say book one, I'm going to be talking about Blood of Elves. When I say book two, I'm going to be talking about Time of Contempt and so forth and so on. So there's that. So if you've read Blood of Elves, y- you are good to go. And, uh, you know, any predictions that I make will mostly be taken from Blood of Elves. Um, but some of them, because, again, they're pushing up characters like Yennefer on the one side and Vilgefortz and some other ones on the other side uh, that don't appear somewhat later, they're already pushing up chronologically in this telling of the story of the t- in the television show. I'm going to have to mention them. Uh, and so I will try to structure this in such a way... Uh, this is a long way of getting to it, but I think it's important to point this out in the first one, which is I will try to structure this in such a way that it will go from no spoilers or anything past the first book to things that are teases in later books, but not full on spoilers. And then finally, as I mentioned for the last one, something that may spoil parts of the second book time of contempt because i believe there is a very 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 strong chance that some of that will end up in the later part of this second season um and uh you know uh, just keep in mind everything is spaced uh one apart because the first season was short stories last wish and sort of destiny so season two is book one season three is book two season four is book three etc uh, but as we saw in The Expanse, for example, you know, that's not necessarily the way it's going to go. They're going to do the, it, the best way to tell the story, keep all the characters involved, and get things moving forward. Um, and so while there may be five more seasons to correlate to the five series books, there could be fewer or there could be more. And if they start working in video game stuff, which they've been hinting, plus all these side properties... Who knows? Um, and so some of the predictions is going to be talking about, uh, you know, things that uh, are in book one that aren't going to make it into season two or any of the seasons for various reasons. And some of the things that are happen later, potentially much later, that are going to get pushed back because... You know, while the the time jumps aren't going to be nearly as weird as in uh, the first season, because Last Wish and Sword of Destiny is jumping all over the place with Ciri in one timeline and Geralt and Yennefer in another for a lot of it, uh, there are large sections of, you know, lost memories and storytelling of things that happened before as the books go on, uh, where, where time does seem to jump around. 
Um, and they're going to make it a little bit more clear in the show, um, and I will try and make it as clear as possible here. I don't think any of my predictions have to do with that in this podcast of predictions for season two, because it is pretty straight narrative through books one and two as the main story gets going. Um, I know that was a lot to take in, but I think it's important uh, to set the sort of the ground rules here. And I'll, I'll try and stop myself if I feel like I'm going over the line. Um, but uh, as we jump into my top five predictions for season two, I'm definitely going to start with a few that are just straight from the blood of elves. If you've read the first book of the Siri pentology, um, talking about characters, uh, who's going to be in the lot, who's maybe going to be in it less than we think. Um, what major changes might happen. Uh, maybe some of it's from lore. Maybe some of it's from outside of lore. Um, and maybe some of it is just from the ether and the writers come up with, you know, something that they think, you know, works brilliantly in the TV show. Uh, that's not from the book. They certainly have the license, uh, and carte blanche, it appears, to do so. So, uh, get ready. Uh, for some prediction time by the Bizzle. Uh, I tend to have great predictions about the success of actors, and particularly young actresses, Anya Chalotra being the one in this case. Also predicted The Witcher was going to be massive well beforehand, so big things. In terms of predicting specific plot points, um, I admit ahead of time that some of these are going to be wish fulfillment, um, or I should say what I would do based on the material we have and studying the first season and how they seem to be integrating uh, the Netflix uh, aesthetic uh, of the producers, writers, and directors uh, with the book materials. Um, and so tri- kind of triangulating that um, in- into the predictions. And plenty of the predictions will have, you know, side notes and, uh, you know, postscripts and addendums and so forth. Uh, otherwise known as hedging, uh, but I'm just trying to be honest here. So um, that was a long explanation, and uh, for uh, the future podcasts uh, with my predictions um, or you know top five, top ten lists, won't have to do so much of that. Uh, but I just wanted to set the ground rules uh, right away. So okay, Bizzle, shut up. Time for the predictions. And I'm going to start with prediction number one for season two of The Witcher. And buckle your seatbelts. Alright guys, The Blood of Elf, first book of the Siri saga, Siri pentology. Gonna do a little uh, plot recap here. Mix of various wikis and just some of my own notes. Uh, my uh, preamble to the plot summary in... You know, every book has something or multiple things that make it great. For me, easily what makes Blood of Elves great and what they're going to for sure do because we finally get Siri, Yennefer, Triss, and Geralt and the other Witchers and other main good guy characters together is spend a lot of time with character development, at least early on. The early training of Siri, the relationship with Triss, with Siri, possible Triss romanticizing about Geralt's which will never happen. Uh, Yennefer, as usual, being hard to track down, but being necessary because she's uh, you know, one of the only ones who's got the power to deal with the source that is Siri. We will get back to that. 
What's interesting is looking at these uh, plot descriptions as they give a pretty um, uh, non-chronological overview uh, in a way. And now the Blood of Elves does shift between the sort of Siri Geralt, Triss uh, perspective in Kermoran, which is the home of the uh, the Witchers, where they're hiding slash training um, uh, Siri um, and some, you know, governmental, uh, or I should say, you know, high political machinations of the kings and queens. And even though it was the sorceresses who saved the people from themselves and set Nilfgaard back a couple years militarily, you know, the supposedly good guy, or at least not as bad guy, northern kingdoms immediately start playing real politic and come to the conclusion that if they can't get Siri to produce an heir for themselves, which is what the Emperor of Nilfgaard appears to want to do, then they should probably just kill her and then take over her kingdom uh, of, of Sintra, which of course Queen Kalinthi, who had committed suicide uh, during the <clears throat> sack of Sintra, the destruction of Sintra, um, you know, uh, killed the heir and now it's, it's open season. Um, uh, on, on it. So two years have passed, which allows Siri to grow up a little bit. Uh, and so that part is actually going to work for the delay. Uh, side note of um, uh, of the filming because Freya Allen has already gone from a girl to a woman. If you see the photos of her, I mean, she's still girlish. She's still young, um, but she's clearly coming to her own physically and just sort of in terms of her confidence. And goddamn, watching <laughs> watching Freya Allen as Siri riding a horse, you know, through the water, <laughs> just looking like a princess slash, you know, uh, you know, fairy, uh, uh, you know, angel almost. It, it, just in some brief set photos. Uh, is absolutely glorious and magical. Um, and Siri certainly has moments of beauty and, and glory and magic. Uh, but sometimes the glory and magic and even the beauty go in directions that you're not quite sure. But in the first season, Siri is definitely seen as, um, right in most cases. And, and she, um, you know, especially with Geralt, uh, you know, who's still stubborn and doesn't really know how to raise a young girl, um, uh, or really none of the witchers do. Um, she has to sort of, you know, fight for her, her, uh, her place and her rights. And then when Triss comes and teaches her how to be a woman, um, and, uh, so basically, while there is a sh- there is a back and forth a bit between the political machinations of the kings and queens and lords and so forth, Game of Thrones style, uh, it, it easily the the memorable part of Blood of Elves, um, outside of the final adventure, <clears throat> which is very complicated and very dangerous, uh, as they try and get Siri uh, to. Um, uh, to one of uh, Geralt's biggest allies, the priestess Neneke and Elendor, uh, before they decide <clears throat> later to take her to Eretuza, which is where the sorceresses are trained. But they definitely trust Neneke uh, more, but just trying to get Ciri there uh, causes all sorts of problems. Um, and that's going to be uh, one of the things I talk about, is that I think you know that's going to be... Uh, that journey is going to be a big part of sort of the middle to middle late of the season. But to start off here, 
you know, there's no question that the early, uh, you know, learning how to be a woman and telling the witchers to give her space, you know, when it's that time of the month and to even think about that. And like, she's going to be indisposed sometimes and getting new clothes and not just being cut up and all of her clothes being ripped and a tomboy. And, you know, Siri even says she wants to be a boy because all the witchers are boys. Triss is horrified by the lack of allowances for her being a woman. Uh, but ultimately, after some tense moments and some fighting, um, Triss uh, comes, um, I should say, Geralt uh, and Vesemir, who's the old head of the Witchers, the old Witcher, basically say, please, Triss, we know we've been a little hard on you, even, in the short time you're here. We've definitely been hard on Siri, but we're just doing what we can, but we need you. Please do your womanly things, and anything on the magical front that you can do as well. Um, and so, uh, my first prediction is that just based on time, and based on the fact that, you know, Yennefer is already being set up so strongly, uh, and, you know, more in advance and heavily th than in the books, um, w whereas, uh, you know, in the books, it's not really until late in the Blood of Elves that we really start spending time with Ciri and Yennefer, um, and Triss is such a memorable character, and they went out of their way to give Triss her own episode in season one, and she's earthly, and she's the mother, and she's going to be teaching Ciri the womanly you know, ways and a little bit of control of the magic. She's soon going to, she's quickly going to realize that they need Yennefer uh, to, to, to help, um, you know, calm, you know, or, or somehow maintain or restrain um, the uh, truly chaotic um, and, uh, you know, unprecedented magical powers of, of the source uh, that is Ciri. Um, and so my first prediction, uh, it, it, and this is partially what I want, is that there needs to be at least one or two episodes of Triss and Ciri with the Witchers, because... The scene where Triss shows up and Ciri's talking about, I'm going to be a witcher, I'm going to be the best witcher of all the witches. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and then Triss, you know, immediately starts loving Ciri because the, everyone can't help but love her. But then she sees all the cuts and bruises. It, it, you know, her first instinct, of course, is abuse, but that's not the case. It's just because the training is really hard, uh, but she's still not happy about it. Siri's still a princess and a young girl and an upcoming woman, um, but more so that she's not being given an allowance to occasionally dress like a woman, to take off when it's that time of the month. They talk about menstruation, and because this is a show that's being run mostly by women, um, or, or, or certainly men as well who are very sensitive to women and understand how important the feminist and female aspect of this is. I absolutely, absolutely expect them to have Triss dressing down the witchers. It, some very memorable early scenes in Kaer Morin, uh, and, you know, sewing some new dresses for Siri and talking about, you know, how to take care of you know, the menstruation issues and, you know, things that ladies have to do. And, you know, 
there's a great scene where you know Triss and and Siri disappear for a while and doing talking about and and doing all the things that I'm describing and then Siri comes out and all of a sudden she's all princessly again she's wearing a nicer dress she goes I'm indisposed I'm not going to be able to train tomorrow and the witchers are sort of like okay all right, we can roll with this. And Geralt gets a little mad at, at Triss at one point. There's a very tense moment that's very memorable where Triss goes a little too far in screaming at uh, the witchers and, and ripping into them for their treatment of Ciri. Uh, it's a little unfair because none of it's malicious. It's totally based on ignorance and just almost fear or just lack of knowledge of what to do with her. And very quickly they apologize to each other. And uh, it's possible her and Geralt sleep together. Um, uh, and so if my first prediction is about Triss and Siri and how we have to have this, um, if for no other reason than to distinguish how different the relationship is going to be uh, with Yennefer, who's much harsher on her, calls her the ugly one in a mirror of you know the way Yennefer was trained, um, still develops love for her. Uh, but it's not so maternal and motherly right off the bat. There's a reason they cast a woman who's so maternal and motherly looking um, as uh, the woman who plays um, uh, Triss. Um, and uh, they wouldn't have set her up so hard in you know, three or four episodes of season one, where she, um, it should be mentioned she hadn't met Geralt yet. Uh, I'm sorry, she, she had worked with the Striga with Geralt, but there was no romantic notions or tensions and because everyone is already bought into Yennefer and Geralt um you know it should be mentioned if you've only seen the first season or even if you've played the Witcher three and seen the first season the beginning and the end you would think Yennefer Geralt forever hearts you know (laughs) never separated never apart you know, and that the two of them in Siri are always the main characters, and it's always that way. Um, you know, so here's where this is not a spoiler, or even really a tease, just a reality, which is, in the books, Yennefer disappears for long periods of time, mostly because she's in hiding, or she's being captured, or she's doing, like, what's the magician version of Top Secret Missions, trying to go after the bad guys, and, uh, so uh, I'm going to talk about that in a second in terms of Yennefer's role going forward. Um, and so they need to have Triss come in early on as the motherly figure. And just because there's so many great dialogue bits. And it does great character building. You've got these witchers that have been around forever. They've all had lovers. But none of them have really been in love other than maybe Geralt with Yennefer now. He, of course, doesn't understand it. And it's been kind of a disaster so far. I don't really understand certainly a little girl. A little girl who's a princess. Um, and, uh, you know, she's the first one to be trained as a witcher. And also going to be trained as a sorceress. I mean, it's so many firsts. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's all new ground. Um, and what's great though is, well, Yennefer, you know, later in the book is a little nasty to her at first. It's, you know, it's really tough love and you can just see Yennefer's, uh, cold exterior breaking down. Uh, even if a Siri can't see it at first, the reader can see it with Yennefer, um, and, uh, I, I think while the, the Triss, 
um, uh, visit and um, moving of, uh, you know, Siri into, you know, womanly territory and starting to control her magic early on in the season might not be as long as I want. It might only be one or two episodes. Um, and they're going to give Yennefer more episodes because it's Yennefer and they've already pushed her up front and that's great. Um, but, uh, but again, if you've only played the games and or watched the show, you know, Yennefer has already been in it way more and they're going to keep bringing in Yennefer and having her appear way more because when you have these main characters in these serialized TV shows, you have to find a way to keep them involved, even if you change the story. Um, and so, uh... To polish off the first prediction, we are going to get Triss. I don't know if they're going to play up the romantic angle with Geralt. It's sort of out of the blue in the book as well, where she just shows up at Kermoran based on their invitation. She knows that she was invited because Geralt's afraid to invite Yennefer because of their problems and that she's not the right person for the job, but she's already dreaming about Geralt sexually. They maybe consummate once. It's not really clear. Geralt does have love affairs with other sorceresses down the road. Usually when he, or maybe only when he thinks um, Yennefer's dead, potentially. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, but, you know, Triss is more of a uh, spiritual friend. Um, and uh, it's just as easily interpreted that they kind of sleep together without, you know, having sex. Like sort of a, a, a deep friendship intimacy. That's what I would like to see, um, because it would be true to the characters. It would leave open the possibility of romance in the future, as we see in, in the games, um, but at the same time, not complicate things with Yennefer too early, unless they specifically are going to you know, make Geralt Yennefer uh, complicated throughout the series in a way that's even more... Um, uh, hitting you on the head um, in, in the book series, uh, which is certainly something you could see happening on Netflix, and I would be open to because the actors are great. So, prediction number one, we will see Triss in the early episodes. We will get the hilarious scenes and, uh, about Siri and menstruation and fighting with a sword and covered with cuts and is Triss putting the, uh, the witchers in their place and really setting up the human side of things, even before we get Yennefer in the picture. But also the vulnerability of Geralt and the Witchers. I mean, this is the first time when Geralt, you can see how much he loves Ciri because he's begging Triss in his own way to help this poor girl in any way possible, and that he can't do it. It shows his love for Ciri, and it shows his insecurity or just lack of you know, uh, of confidence or knowledge about how to do it himself. And so I think even if it's only an episode or two, while it's longer in the book, it's almost the first third of the book, you know, mixed in again with political machinations of, of government stuff. Um, it's in some ways even more memorable than the Yennefer stuff that happens later. Um, but although part of that's because we get more Yennefer series stuff down the road in other books. So, Tris, in the first few episodes, season one got to happen in Kaer Morin with the Witchers, seeing, seeing Siri train, um, and she's going to be the best Witcher of all the Witchers, possibly with a little uh, gender conflict, and uh, her sexuality is uh, something we're going to talk about in a little bit, but not quite yet, so... 
Give us some Triss Marigold. She's awesome. She's an amazing character. Um, I personally loved her in the first season. I don't care what other people say. She's maternal. She's supposed to look, you know, like a mother. Uh, she's not supposed to be, you know, a sexy, badass enchantress. She's nature magic woman. And, you know, it, her teaching Siri how to be a woman is just as important in the long run as teaching Siri the, the ways of the high magic that we will get with Yennefer. So, Tris Marigold, check. Prediction number one completes. All right, time for prediction number two. We're going to stick with character stuff. And this prediction... I think is almost guaranteed, at least to a certain extent, with this character. Uh, both because this character takes on such a more important role than you think so far, if you're just following this show. And because if they don't do it now, then they're going to phase him out, and the show will never be complete. Because even though it's Triss, um, I'm sorry, even though it's Yennefer and Geralt and Ciri, there's two others that uh, remain important throughout the books and into the video games and beyond. Triss Marigold, who I just talked about, and here we go, Jaskier, a.k.a. a Dandelion. The most direct prediction I'm going to make is that they are going to shift into calling him Dandelion, which is his name, and everybody wants it. That's his name, is Dandelion. I don't know if someone's going to give it to him and sort of, you know, uh, like a uh, Han Solo, like, here's how Han Solo got the name Solo. Um, he just takes on the name Dandelion as his artistic name, but it really can't capture the character. I know it's just a name, but sometimes a name's not just a name. They have to start calling him Dandelion. But that's not the most important thing, because the Blood of Elves, among many memorable parts, begins with Dandelion in a, a, a glade um, that's sort of moderated. Uh, it's not Brokelon Forest, but it's sort of moderated by the Dryads, and it's a place of peace where all the different races and all the different men of different political and military backgrounds and blah, blah, blah can come and listen to music and discuss things. Um, and it's forbidden um, to create a place of violence. And Dandelion, who's now become quite famous, sings the tale of Yennefer and Geralt and then Ciri. And it leads to a huge, long discussion between the dwarves and the elves and the various men of the various backgrounds, the theory real, and even more philosophical discussions about what is history and, you know, what is real when it comes to legends and so forth. And, you know, Dandelion, to his credit, keeps insisting that it's just art and it's just music and he's just telling stories. But the stories seem to be quite specific, <laughs> both in, in the characters that they are about and, you know, how they're described uh, as people, as characters, and the events, and so forth. It's clear he's maybe giving away too much information. He, uh, after a very long series of discussions between all these people, uh, which is a fascinating sort of philosophical opening to the long theory pentology, 
It leads to him immediately being hunted down by Ryan, an evil wizard, um, who wants to find Siri, like so many of the evil wizards, uh, is uh, a, a, um, a minion of, of Vilgefort. And, uh, you know, again, even though Vilgefort in the books doesn't really come into his own as a direct character into book two, we've already been introduced to him in season one, so well before he's introduced in the book. Ryan says Vilgefort's messenger, you know, is out looking for Siri. Vilgefort says other messengers looking for Siri. The Emperor has messengers looking for Siri. Everyone's looking for Siri. And Ryan's almost murdered uh, Dandelion, um, or at least tortures him, trying to get the information. And of all people, Yennefer shows up. Because Yennefer's been following uh, Dandelion, who she has hated in the past. And why is she following him? Well, she's following him because she knows that he's become a liability with Siri. She attacks Ryan, damages him. Ryan escapes with a teleportation, um, which he shouldn't be able to do because he's not considered one of the most powerful mages, which is a clue that Vilgefortz or someone more powerful is, you know, monitoring the situation. I won't go into all that. Bottom line is, Yennefer saves uh, uh, Dandelion, and right away, Dandelion is humbled, and he thanks Yennefer over and over and over again, and he's already, you know, you can tell, become more mature, more self-aware, and immediately they have a great conversation um, where she admits that she's developed a soft spot for him, and Dandelion's like, I thought you absolutely hated me. And Yennefer's like, I-, I did hate you, but then I had a realization. And the realization was that through all that time when I was not with Geralt and he had nobody else, you accompanied him. And whatever your flaws and, you know, whatever our problems, the fact that you were always there for Geralt I'll always be thankful for. And the fact that they immediately not become buddies, but have a reconciliation in understanding this early on, it's such a sweet moment, such a great way to reintroduce the characters and to do what I was talking about in some of my commentaries in the first season, which is Yennefer and Geralt, they play Dandelion, you know, way less uh, lascivious, uh, and, uh, uh, kind of selfish and all over the place in the first season, uh, from Last Wish and Sword of Destiny than perhaps he is. Um, but as I talked a lot about, Dandelion, Yennefer, and Geralt grow up really quickly, uh, you know, once the series situation begins. And what a great way to reintroduce two of our main characters and make them familiar, but also show that they've both been thinking a lot about stuff and been maturing already, and, and that they're taking a huge maturity jump, um, as I talked about, uh, because of Siri. And a lot of the books, you know, Siri goes all over the place. I don't want to get too specific, but Siri physically, mentally, emotionally, psychically, sexually, 
all sorts of stuff. It's all over the place as the books go on. But it's really a tale of the people around Ciri, mainly Dandelion, Geralt, Yennefer, but also some more characters who we haven't met yet, who I'm not going to talk about, who all need to mature in various ways, even if they're hundreds of years old, like Geralt and Yennefer, um, and the journey that they go through in maturing. And this is a great early step. Um, so the first part of the Dandelion prediction is that this scene is going to happen. In fact, it would be so dumb to not start the the second season with this scene because it's beautiful. It sums up everything about The Witcher. It reorients us. You know, it starts with Dandelion, and so we're, we're still wondering where our main characters are. He's telling the story. <laughs> but after Yennefer thanks him, uh, after he thanks Yennefer for saving him, and then Yennefer thanks him for keeping Geralt company, and they have their little, you know, uh, uh, sweet moment together, she's like, look, Dandelion, you have to stop talking about Ciri. You can sing about me and Geralt's love affair however you want. You can make up stuff about us. I don't care. You cannot talk about Ciri. It's a danger. And he admits he doesn't know where they are, Yennefer, of course, knows, but she's not going to go to Kaer Morhen unless she's invited, um, leading to, much later in the book, the journey to find Yennefer and connect uh, in, in um, the Temple of Neneke and then Eratuza, which is where, you know, the, uh, the sorceresses study. Um, but Dandelion, you know, says, you need to go to them. They need you, and I want to go too, but you really need to go. Um, and this sets up that Dandelion has decided that despite all of his flaws and the fact that he hates sleeping in nature and he likes comfortable beds and comfortable women and all of his stuff and all of his complaints, he can be a big baby. He's decided that he is going to ride with Geralt until the end and the maturation of Dandelion, not only within himself, but becoming a sort of moral advisor to Carol as, as it goes along, and continuing to humanize and rehumanize Geralt, this is the beginning point, even though they're so far away from each other. Um, and uh, the further part of this prediction is that, you know, in the book, now there's, a, there's been a huge gap uh, so in the very beginning, there, there's Dandelion, and then Yennefer saves Dandelion from Ryons. They come to an understanding, and then we don't hear from Yennefer for quite a bit. There's no way we're not going to hear from Anya Shalotra's Yennefer uh, for you know the vast majority of the telling of, of the Blood of Elves. And so I think what they're going to do is turn the Ryon situation into, you know, a mystery, which is what it is. Um, but what's great is, because we've already met Vilgefortz in the TV show, she can start putting together some of the pieces about possible connections. Now, for reasons that will become clear, uh, later in this podcast, or maybe a future, uh, near future podcast where I talk about book two, uh, she can't find out for sure that this guy's working for Ryan's. I'm sorry, that Ryan's is working for Vilgefort. And she can't establish what their 
uh, working towards because the whole point of the, cat, the cataclysm of events in the middle of book two that sets on uh, you know a headlong course down a mountain uh, of shit uh, for the rest of the series in the middle of book two uh, can't happen if they all know who Vilgefortz really is and his true intentions, but her investigation of it would absolutely make sense. And her ending up at the Temple of Neneke and trying to then reestablish communication with Geralt and Triss, with Siri, of course, and get together, I think would make perfect sense. So I think Yennefer is going to be doing, you know, sort of secret agent type stuff um, in the book, and Dandelion is going to be the one to, to set it off. Um, I, I think Dandelion is going to try and find Kaer Morin. I can't remember when he actually reconnects with them, if it's at Neneke's place or on the journey to Neneke's place. It's possible they team up Dandelion and Yennefer together just for the hilarity of it because, I mean, let's put it this way. When you're reading it in the book, she dresses him down for singing about Siri, but she has no reason to think that Dandelion, with his big mouth, will stop singing about Siri. You know, even after saving him and him claiming, you know, that he'll pull back on it or whatever. So maybe she thinks the only way to protect him and therefore Siri is to keep an eye on him and then travel together. And that would be a source of so much hilarity, um, but also character building for the two of them. And you pair up two of your main characters. So while you have Siri and Geralt and Triss with the Witchers, and care more and put Triss and Dandelion together. I think it would be absolutely great. Now, this is not a prediction. This is what I would do, or at least consider doing. The first part about the song in the glade and the discussion with all the creatures and then Ryan's the mage, trying to kill Dandelion and being saved from Yennefer, blah, blah, blah. That, I think, for sure is going to happen. It's how the book starts. It's how the season should start. And... I hope they start calling him Dandelion, but if not, he needs to go into full Dandelion mode. They need to unleash the Dandelion uh, in terms of the character in the story. And they love, love, love Joey Betsy. For the most part, people love Joey Betsy as Dandelion. Not across the board. I love him. Casual fans seem to love him. Hardcore fans of the book, I'm the hardest of the hardcore fans. Some Arker fans of the book, you know, just don't find him as interesting or dimensional as book Dandelion. But we haven't had a chance to do it yet. We're going to start getting that chance now. And so unleashing the Dandelion in the relationship with Yennefer at some level is going to happen early and may go much longer than we see in the book in order to keep those two characters active throughout the season and their relationship with each other, which could be even more developed um, than what we see uh, throughout the course of the book, where, you know, again, they're mostly, you know, associated through Geralt, um, and while they have a, a bit of a detente now, uh, it's still mostly through, uh, through Geralt. I would absolutely love to see that. And so unleash the dandelion, and he's going to suddenly become irrationally brave 
Um, and even when the cowardice starts kicking in, his love of Geralt and his desire to help Siri, which is going to become a constant theme, more and more people wanting to help Siri for various reasons, um, and they're very different reasons, and some of them are more sketchy than others, but not necessarily uh, less potent or uh, uh, less, um, you know, less relevant uh, than others uh, is an ongoing uh, 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 theme in the book. So unleash the dandelion in a great relationship, at least early on with Yennefer. I'll save Yennefer for now, but I could definitely see those two having some funny adventures together. All right, prediction number three. So, so far the predictions have been pretty close to what happens in the book. I've been extending some. I've been <laughs> adding some thoughts, uh, some crazy ideas like Yennefer and Dandelion traveling together, which really works uh, in terms of having multiple episodes of two of your main characters getting to know each other in a way that doesn't really, you know... Uh, it, 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 it doesn't really shit on the book, um, and it, it's nice to know where Dandelion and Yennefer are during these long periods of time after the beginning, uh, for them to be traveling together and Yennefer to keep an eye on Dandelion, as I mentioned in the last one. Um, and so, for the most part, I'm sticking to the blunt of elves. Um, and uh, so... Um, uh, I, I, I didn't mention this in my original intro, but I'm going to add it, which is, um, these are my first five predictions, and these are going to be the most direct ones based on the Blood of Elves book, and possibly a little bit what comes after it in the next book, A Time of Contempt. I'm then going to do a second five predictions um, that are more out there, that are more reaches, um, that are definitely sort of so if these are sort of predictions that are 50% or higher in my mind, I'm going to do a set of predictions that are well below 50%, but with at least one really good reason for them. But for now, I'm sticking with stuff that happens in the book. And one of the things that happens in The Blood of Elves, in between these great character chapters, is the Game of Thrones thing, where we spend time with manipulative, borderline evil, or straight-up evil and certainly self-serving, power-hungry, uh, single-minded, um, uh, you know, kings, queens, uh, and so forth. Um, the Northern Kingdoms, uh, which should be thankful for the reprieve that the sorcerers, sorceresses gave them uh, after Yennefer destroys, uh, you know, fireballs the Nilfgaardian army um, at the Battle of Sodden. Um, and then, of course, the Nilfgaardian emperor, who has now um, it, it brought together uh, rogue uh, elves and dwarves to what they call Skoyatile, or the squirrels, because they wear like little squirrel hats, um, who are going around murdering people um, as, you know, just agents of chaos and destruction for the emperor of Nilfgaard as part of his sort of irregulars, I guess you would call them, um, and... Uh, you know, Game of Thrones was known for their big political uh, dialogue and talks and machinations and plots and so forth. And, you know, as the books go along, it actually spends more time with our main characters in their personal journeys, 
Sari and then sort of the group that Geralt travels with and Yennefer comes in and out. I won't go too much into specifics about that now because some of those are book two, three, four, and five. Um, and so I'll tease them at best. But this book does have at least one chapter of the Northern Kingdoms who immediately, rather than saying, why don't we try and defend ourselves and let's try and help, you know, put Siri on the throne and restore Sintra. Like, nope, let's kill Siri and take over Sintra for ourselves after all this. And then, of course, Amir von Emrys, the emperor in the south, um, who has his own plans for Nilfgaard. And so, because it's in the book to a certain degree, and because you've got to have a little bit of the Game of Thrones politics, and because it is going to set the stakes, the boundaries, um, the, uh, the power levels, if you will, of the various sides, and where all the kings and queens stand um, uh, on their own and in relation to one another, I think for sure we are going to get a number of scenes where they just straight up cut to the kings and queens of the north planning uh, with and against each other. Um, and I also think we're going to get some scenes um, with Emperor uh, Amir von Emrys in the south, um, especially because um, Kahir, uh, you know, who unsuccessfully does not get Siri uh, for the Emperor in the first uh, season, gets one more chance after being tortured by Amir for some reason, gets another chance to find Siri. And that ends up not going the way the Emperor wants in an even more extreme way. Uh, when he has a change of heart down the road, I'll leave it at that. Um, so this is going to be a pretty short one. Um, after I go back through the book a little bit uh, and do some highlighting and summarization, um, I might come back to this and be a little bit more specific, but it doesn't really matter uh, because it's pretty clear what the ultimate goals of the Northern Kings and Queens are. Um, and, of course, Emperor Amir. Um, and, uh, you know... Uh, the, the, the fallout from, um, from Sintra and, and then the Battle of Sodden and sort of the next military steps that they're going to take. And the Northern Kingdoms decide, rather than, lick, you know, uh, letting um, Amir and the Nilfgaardians lick their wounds and to defend their own territories, start to get militant and offensive and aggressive, and they're going to invade the South and it really escalates the war in a way that continues to build and build over the series. And so while mustache rolling of bad guys isn't my favorite thing, you need to set the political stakes early on, um, because again, in the books, they don't really spend too much time with the high political leaders after these early books. Now, because of the Game of Thrones model, and because people love the stuff with kings and queens and power plays, I think we are going to get this on and off throughout the season, especially with the Emperor and the more important kings and queens of, of the North. Um, but you've got to do it in this season, especially because the scenes with Triss and Ciri and Triss and Geralt and Geralt and Ciri and all the Witchers and then Yennefer and some of the other stuff are kind of, quote-unquote, small scenes in terms of character scenes. And while there is some adventure that happens, and we're going to talk about in a bit, it's really a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one or small group character building. 
Um, and, you know, the, the Witchers and, you know, Triss and so forth are not unaware that this stuff is probably going on, but it is important that uh, they're somewhat ignorant or at least not privy to the fact that plans are being made to kill Searing um, uh, uh, and <laughs> to the point where, you know, We've already set up the emperor of the south, Amir, as this evil guy. Who God knows what he wants to do with Siri, but at least he wants to capture Siri. And we we learn marry Siri, uh, you know, to keep the bloodline thing going, which we'll get back to with Siri's bloodline and the emperor's obsession with it. But the northerners just want to murder her because then the throne uh, is vacant uh, in Sintra. And it's an important, you know, it's the most southern uh, kingdom right on the border uh, with the south and the delta. Um, it's a strategic position. It's a strong political position. And, uh, you know, what, what better way than to eliminate any potential contenders for the throne, especially Sorella, the lion cub of Sintra. Um, and so... You know, it, this is such an easy way to build tension, which is, you know, not only do you have uh, a whole bunch of mysterious mages who's working for God know who, God knows who, coming after Siri for God knows what reason, but now you have all the northern kingdoms and the southern emperor all c coming after Siri, and, you know, sets the threat level, <laughs> threat level midnight, you know, DEFCON 5 uh, for the rest of the series, she has nowhere to go because everywhere that doesn't involve Geralt, Yennefer, and a few people who she can trust protecting her um, or hiding out, as she's forced to do later in the series, in various guises, they're all after her. And it's just going to drive her fear and paranoia, all of which are rational, but will cause you know, a young, unstable, powerful woman like her to maybe do some irrational things. And, uh, you know, people love this stuff. It's high fantasy. You've got to do it. You've got to do the kings and queens. And we've got to see that they're mostly all pretty, pretty horrible. Um, now, as the series goes on, um, and certainly into the video games, uh, and when things, you know, backfire for everybody, uh, mostly because the mages, <laughs> the male sorcerers, are far more in charge, as we'll learn, than any of the political leaders. Some of them are forced to reconsider, and asshole-seeming bad guys like Dykstra, for example, Dijkstra, uh, turn out to be, uh, you know, hesitant allies um, when they realize what's really going on. But this early on, you've got to set the threat level for Siri. And then we get the, you know, we get the costumes and the throne room and the big table and the servants and the thinly veiled threats and the men threatening the women and the women threatening the men and all the Game of Thrones stuff. But it's all in the book, so not only doesn't bother me, but if you're going to do it at all, uh, you've got to start setting it up here. Um, now, if they continue doing a lot of political talk in f future seasons, that will be added because, again, it's it's not a big part of the telling of the story after the first book, um, except here and there occasionally. Um, but I'm totally fine with it because 
they know they need to focus on their main characters. And so these scenes might not be particularly long um, after the initial sort of exposition is set up uh, on the various political sides. And then we sort of visit with them. It'll be interesting to see if they turn some of the good kings and queens bad or vice versa, some of the hesitant ones um, into more supporters. Are they just going to make them all evil? Because as I've talked about before, you know, the thing about The Witcher is you have a lot of bad common folks you got a lot of bad political leaders and royalty, but in order for, you know, humanity uh, or, or just, you know, living creatures to survive in a world like this, at least some of the royalty and at least some of the common folks have to be good. We're certainly going to start seeing the good common folks who want to help Siri starting in this book and actually grow um, as the series goes on, as more, more people learn about her and want to help her in various ways for various reasons. But you also need some political leaders at least not trying to murder her and maybe even trying to help. So while this is a pretty easy prediction that there will be a big Game of Thrones-style political uh, diplomatic uh, scenes, backstabbing, machinations, plotting, uh, plotting and planning... um, uh, what I can't totally predict is how much of it there will be, if they're going cha- to focus on some of the kings and queens more than, uh, than uh, is in the books, less than is in the books, and some of them are going to end up being on Team Siri that aren't necessarily on Team Siri in the books. That would be cool. And there are some kings and queens in some of the other literature um, who uh, can be ruthless, but aren't necessarily evil and don't trust the intentions of uh, uh, their supposed allies in the Northern Kingdoms any more than uh, the Emperor of Nilfgaard in the South. So, prediction number three, the political machinations in, in some straight-up chapters of heavy political talk and what to do with Ciri, the Kingdom of Sintra, we get in the Blood of Elves. For sure we are going to get... Um, and it's going to look beautiful and be filmed great. And um, we, we just need excellent casting um, of, uh, of some of the kings and queens that we haven't seen yet. And while well, we've seen Dooney, you know, but we haven't seen Amir yet. That's all I'm going to say. It'll be interesting to see how they portray Amir. Because in the book, they can hide who Amir is. And this isn't a spoiler, guys, because you're going to see it. In the book, they can hide for the entire series essentially who Amir is, even if you kind of guess it. Here, once you see the face of the guy who's the Emperor of Nilfgaard, you're going to know who it is, and you've seen him already. And also a little disturbing to think how he got there, his wife is dead, and now he wants to marry his daughter, Duni, a.k.a. Amir von Emerus. Um, you know, unless they really do a, you know, man in the iron mask type thing or something, uh, it's going to be quite clear. But again, like with Vilgahorse, I think some of these bad guys, they shouldn't work so hard to hide in a TV series. Because in the book, where it's, you know, again, all dialogue-based and character building on a smaller level, here in a more epic fantasy retelling of the story, 
some of those characters you just want to know are bad guys or at least super powerful characters and players who are involved. So we're going to get the political talk um, interspersed with the character stuff. And while that's a little standard in terms of, let's say, Game of Thrones Season 2 and 3, as they really intersperse the smaller character stuff, characters on the run with, you know, the, the machinations of the political forces, is what happens in the book, and whether this is setting up that they're going to do it in future uh, uh, ser- uh, seasons or not, doesn't really matter. You gotta do it for loyalty, but even more so, you gotta do it to set the stakes and to just explain to people what the political situation is, which wasn't clear at all in the first season, because, you know, the political uh, military stuff late in the first season, again, is based on, uh, you know, stories that were told later that are, is lore, but did not happen in the way that it happened and at the time that it happened. Um, in terms of when it was recorded in the book, as we saw in season one. And so, you know, so we can't, let's put it this way, we can't have a uh, Star Wars episode seven through nine new saga movies with the fucking New Republic and the First Order. None of that politics makes sense. They've got to explain these politics at least enough to know how it affects Siri, Geralt, Yennefer, and so forth. So, Get ready for some mustache twirling and planning and plotting by the kings and queens. And uh, everyone's going to be coming after Cirilla, uh, just adding more pressure to the situation. So there you go. So for number four, okay, so just to review, we started with Triss and Ciri and, and Geralt and the Witchers of Kermorn. And then we talked about Yennefer and Dandelion. Um and Dandelion's increased role in their relationship and where they might take it. Then we talked, third one, about kings and queens and the Game of Thrones stuff and the political machinations. I feel very good about large parts of all of those. So, for example, while I would love for Yennefer and Dandelion to roam together for a while, it doesn't happen in the book. It certainly would be fine if it doesn't happen, that's a little bit of a, an I want as much as I think. But in general, my discussion of the increased role of Dandelion Yennefer is straight from the book, the political machinations of the kings and queens of the North and South is straight from the book, and what goes on at Kaer Morin is straight from the book. So my number four, fourth prediction is very straightforward, which is after lots of character building, and occasional, you know, political exposition and talking, um, as we've discussed. Uh, the big sort of journey adventure is they decide they want to get Siri to Nenica, who's the one priestess that they really trust, even though, you know, again, like with Triss, she's not going to be able to handle Siri, but they got to do something um, and move her out of care more and, and get her some magical support and training. And Triss, who's very sick and not well, goes with Siri and Geralt. And they run into their old friends, Yarpin, the dwarves. Now, if you recall, if you have just watched the series, Yarpin and his crazy dwarves were on the mission to find the dragons. And they were ready to kill the dragons like everyone else. Yennefer saved them from themselves uh, by freezing them 
Uh, and so they didn't, weren't involved in the battle, and their hands were clean. Now, in the books, everything is way different. You know, in the books, Yennefer gets basically partially raped by the dwarves, and Dandelion is enjoying, I mean, it gets really dark and gross in the book, in that story, how Yennefer's treated. Yennefer, it takes much longer to decide not to kill the dragons. Um, she doesn't turn quite as quickly. And they don't have that sort of romantic battle together, her and Geralt. It all works great in the show. Um, but I talk, you know, very specifically, if you go to my episode six commentary from season one of The Witcher, that the reason, um, and this isn't me knowing the behind the scenes, let me put it this way. This isn't anyone telling me this. It's just obvious from someone who knows the material and why they would do it is, the reason they have Yennefer freeze the dwarves and not have them get their hands dirty in that episode is because Yarfin comes back and ends up helping Siri and the crew big time, and they become buddies together. And in order for that to make sense, because remember, you know, Andrzej Sapkowski was writing those early books, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, as short stories, before he had fully settled on writing the huge Siri pentology epic. Um, and so there's some major, you know, character differences. Dandelion changes, Yennefer changes, some of it's gross, but some of it, it doesn't really make sense. And one of it's Yarpin, who just, they seem absolutely awful, uh, his particular murderous dwarves um, in uh, the story about the, the golden dragon and so forth in A Sword of Destiny. Um, they mostly seem to hate the barbaric humans um, in, uh, in episode six of season one of the series, and so Yennefer freezes them to keep their hands clean, as I've been saying uh, over and over again. And it, the obvious reason is so that when we see them again, and they're helping Siri, and it's a really sad tale, and it's the first tale we get directly of the extent to which men want to exterminate in almost a Nazi-esque way, um, or at least in terms of pogroms, the dwarves and the elves, which is that they hire, these men hire the Yarpin and dwarves uh, to do a merchant run or something because they expect the dwarves are going to betray them and steal it, and then they can kill the dwarves. The dwarves, of course, are honorable, and they have to end up defending themselves and kill the people, you know, who are trying to trick them into a position where they would be killed. Um, and it's also the first bond, however, uh, between Siri and, uh, you know, non-human uh, uh, um, people, which is very, very important. And it's very funny because while he is a loudmouth dwarf, she's a loudmouth girl, and... You know, he curses more than her, and she maybe whines more than him, but they both have absolutely zero filter, and there's this absolutely great moment where they're kind of screaming at each other, and then they realize they're, like, agreeing, and they're just sort of like, I like you, and like, I like you, you know, I like this one. Um, and they actually become buddies, and they have to help defend each other. I don't remember if Yarpin survives the attack on the caravan, um, or if his people survive, um, but it's it's the first major, just straight-up racial murder um, uh, by the men who hired them 
expecting and almost hoping or definitely hoping for them to betray so they could kill them in whatever. And so this isn't that big of a prediction. You got to do it. They clearly are setting up Yarpin in the first season um, by keeping their hands clean from, from the murder of the dragons so that when they come back to help Siri, Geralt, and Triss, it's a much easier sell. And, you know, I think that's one of those things that, you know, Andrzej Sapkowski, he's not going to go back and, quote-unquote, fix his books, but it's way more logical. It was a it really elegant, it was elegant, funny, and smart to have Yennefer freeze them, knowing that they were just going to cause trouble, and they were just, you know, not smart enough to, to do the right thing, and they weren't really evil. So Yennefer freezes them, one of her great acts, you know, her goodness shines when you least expect it. Um, and when she's not thinking about it, you know, that's part of her thing, too. Uh, and so, um, you know, this, this is one of those almost 10 out of 10 predictions of uh, Yarpin um, uh, and his dwarven company accompanying uh, Siri and Geralt and helping them. As they all get horribly injured and barely make it, Geralt's constantly almost dying. Triss is constantly almost dying. Um, and so while this is the most obvious of the predictions, and there's no real embellishment or changes that's going to happen, this is the place to actually talk um, before I do the fifth one, which is a possible spoiler, going into further books and talking about some characters that you might not know that much about, like Vilgefortz, um, which is to just talk about how the season will be set up. I think for sure they're going to do 10 episodes, especially after this long wait, with all the ground they have to cover. Eight just doesn't seem like enough. And so, and they have to get to Yennefer and have Yennefer do some training with Siri and also have some great mom, older sister moments the way Tris does. And so, you know, before I even present my fifth and final uh, prediction, um, which postulates that this is this season is going to go beyond a book one of the series saga, I have to say, with only ten episodes, it's tough. I guess I could see two episodes of Triss at Kermoran if they hit the road by episode three, um, and then the Yarpin stuff happens by four or five. They could then do six or seven with Yennefer, and then uh, eight, nine, and ten be the giant uh, cataclysm that happens in the first half of Time of Contempt. It just depends how fast they want to get the story going. Now, normally, that's how most people would do it. Most showrunners would do it. That's maybe how I would do it. But that being said, initially when the show was announced, I thought there was absolutely no way that they were going to do The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny. I thought they were going to jump right into the series saga um, or a very shortened version of the prequel story. So maybe they want to take their time and, and stretch it out more. Um, but I'm going to talk about why in this one case they're going to um, escalate the speed um, of moving through the books. But then they're going to slow way, way down and maybe even stretch some books, single books, into more than one season. Um, and so it'll even out in the end. And Lady of the Lake, which is the final book, 
is twice the length and 10 times as epic as anything before it. So that's probably two books right there. Um, And so even if you're still trying to do five books in five seasons, I still think you can do what I'm going to propose. Um, But 100% chance that Yarpin and the Dwarves meet Siri and company along the way. And, you know, the freak show, as I like to call it affectionately, dwarves and witchers and and, and chandresses and so forth all end up fighting horrible people who hate everyone who's different. Um, And, uh, you know, the the political messages are pretty clear about this. Um, And that's 100%. If you go back and watch episode six with the dragons from the first season, that is exactly why Yennefer freezes the dwarves so that they remain more ethically and morally pure. Uh, We still like them. There's no raping. There's no murdering of dragons or innocent people. And while Yarpin will certainly be extremely gruff and aggressive, uh, maybe even threatening and a lot of cursing and, and so forth, he will be a good guy and he will help them. Um, they'll probably kill him just for the effect. I can't remember if he dies in the book. Um, they'll probably kill him just for effect because that will leave a really indelible mark on Siri, which is that, you know, no one can understand her you know, Triss starts to kind of get her from a womanly perspective, um, but she's still, you know, the enchantresses to Ciri are still, like, on another level, just the way she worships Geralt in The Witchers. And so, you know, kind of just a down-and-dirty, overly-honest, no-filter creature like the dwarf Yarpin, and, and they become buddies, and then to kill Yarpin would be devastating to Ciri um, and, and start leading her down the dark path of, you know, of, of hatred and suspicion and the things that lead her to do some dark things uh, down the road. Um, but the Yarpin thing will for sure happen. And the only question is, is that enough of an adventure story to end the season with? Um, or do you need to push the story forward a little bit? I'm going to argue the latter. Um, but for now, I'll leave you with uh, what's a pretty straightforward um, story point in, in that they've already set up which is Yarpin and the dwarves, which will be fun because the dwar- angry dwarves are always fun, especially when they're good guys. All right, guys, time to move on to the fifth and final one. Again, if you haven't read Time of Contempt or you don't want to be spoiled past Blood of Elves, be warned because I'm specifically going to talk about events that go into at least halfway through Time of Contempt that I, I, I believe strongly can finally make my argument why I think it's going to be in season uh, two um, of The Witcher. So, uh, if you're leaving now, thank you for joining me. If you're sticking around, get ready for some craziness. Alright, folks. We made it. Number five of five of my top five predictions for The Witcher. Season two on Netflix. Again, these are my big general ones based on the book or books uh, that they will be using in season two for sure as i mentioned the blood of elves which is book one of the series saga um and i think maybe they're going to go beyond it and that's going to be part of this prediction 
um, just to uh, say it once more, is I'm going to do a second predictions podcast, maybe with a guest um, of, a, of five more predictions uh, that are going to be much more far out, um, that will involve working in video games, secondary lore, uh, things that it seems the showrunners might want to do for television that might not be in the books at all, but is in the spirit of it, um, bringing in things that happen, quote-unquote, in the future, or as happened in the short story books that they haven't worked into the show yet. Um, and so those will be kind of more far-out theories, uh, you know, conspiracy theories, I guess you would call them, uh, and uh, will for sure involve wish fulfillment, stuff that I would want to do. Um, at least that would be a sort of 50% of it, and then the other 50% reading the tea leaves. Well, these first five, uh, you know, I think is, you know, more like 75, 80%. Not necessarily they're going to happen or happen how exactly how I'm saying it, um, presenting it, but just, you know, the, the reading of the tea leaves for these predictions are almost directly from the book, you know, kind of triangulated with um, what we've seen in the show so far and what they like to do in the show, what they like to change and what they like to keep loyal. Um, but this is the one, if you have only read The Blood of Elves, the first book of the Siri saga, the Siri pentology, if you've only read that and you haven't read the second book, in particular Time of Contempt or beyond to you know most or all of the uh, book series, uh, the five Siri books, if you haven't read past the first book, Blood of Elves, into the second book, Time of Contempt, and you don't want to be spoiled on a possible thing that I think could happen in this coming season from book two, um, as opposed to waiting to the third season. So just a, you know, a, a quick refresher. Again, the first season was the short two short stories, Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, which were written first, but essentially are prequels to what became the Siri Pentology, which is sort of the main high fantasy Lord of the Rings-esque you know, series um, of The Witcher, um, which is what they'll be working on from now on, um, working with from now on. And, you know, it would seem to make sense, uh, you know, to do one book per season season, five more seasons, uh, which I think was their original intention, but since then they've announced numerous other seasons, things that happened thousands of years ago, an animated series about the history of the Witchers, um, and they've even been hinting very strongly about working in video game stuff which is smart as hell, um, not only because a lot of us got into this through the video games, but because there's just great lore, um, and even though the video games technically take place after all the movies, and nevertheless, uh, there's some stuff um, that thematically, uh, visually, you know, in terms of the fighting and the violence and the magic and so forth, uh, that they take more liberties with in the video games, um, but that it seems Andrei Sapkowski, the writer of the books, would be fine working in if it's done the right way. Um, and so with all of those factors, um, I don't know if it's going to be, quote-unquote, only five more seasons. Um, I could definitely see more than five more seasons if it's super popular, like how Game of Thrones got. But I could also see it be less than five more seasons, potentially three or four. And this is where my fifth uh, and final prediction for today lies, which is that I believe uh, that the, the, this next season is going to, yes, have Blood of Elves, book one of the series saga, but is going to actually go about halfway through the second book as well before the end of the season, um, that book being The Time of Contempt. So, last warning, spoilers of things that happen in the second book of the series saga, Time of Contempt. And uh, thank you for joining me if you have to leave now. Otherwise, uh, stick around, and uh, here comes the prediction. All right, so 
as I hinted strongly there in the preamble spoiler warning, and I've been sort of hinting throughout this entire podcast, and I've mentioned in the past, I used to think they were actually going to combine all of book one and book two into one season, but with only eight to ten episodes per season, that's a little bit of a tall order. But um, I'm feeling more and more strongly based on sort of the momentum of the series, how fast they want things to move, and the fact that while the Blood of Elves is an amazing character study um, with Ciri and, and the, her various protectors slash teachers and Geralt and the Witchers and Yennefer and Triss, of course, um, and then we have the big adventure with the dwarves and the battle um, and, and so forth that they barely survived that I mentioned in uh, number four a couple minutes ago. The battle with the dwarves is not exciting or big enough um, of an ending to a series like this uh, of a season. Um, it's season two, but it's, again, the first season from the Book of Siri, the Siri saga, the Siri pentology. And, you know, the fact that episodes seven and eight in season one, they ended with the huge magic uh, battle um, between Nilfgaard and the North, people of the North, with Yennefer and the sorceresses trying to defend the people of the North against the Nilfgaardians and, and their mages, um, the Battle of Sod, in, as I've talked about on the podcast, um, which you know you may have heard, or if you haven't listened to my Witcher podcast, maybe you've heard elsewhere or haven't, which is that the Battle of Sodden, starting in the upcoming book, The Blood of Elves, is talked about a lot, and we know that it happened when and where it, it, they happened in sort of the chronology of the story that we saw, um, but it's not actually described in, in sort of the present day in the book the way they do in the show, meaning... While seven episode seven and eight of season one is divided between you know Siri escaping the forest and finding a new home temporarily where she, she can be safe, um, Geralt uh, really starting to lose you know hope and faith and and himself and humanity and almost dying and having a vision and seeing his mom uh, who comes to help him and confronting his past and then of course you know, finding Siri at the very end. Um, and then the third, of course, is Yennefer and, and the Enchantresses fighting. In the books, it's just those first two. It's just Geralt and Ciri um, trying to find each other in different ways um, and not sure that they're even alive. Uh, Ciri hoping against hope, and with her dreams, she's holding out hope that Geralt's alive. He's basically lost hope at that point um, because he, after their uh, journeys in Brokilon Forest in the books, which does not you know, reoccur, uh, or not occur in that way in, in the TV show, she goes back home and then Sintra burns to the ground. And so Geralt is, you know, convinced that she must be dead and that he screwed up by, you know, not taking her um, immediately after their uh, adventures together in the forest. Um, but they do find each other in the end. Um, and fate brings them together um, when he helps the wagon driver. And it happens that the wagon driver's wife is the one who adopted Ciri and uh, invoking the law of surprise once more, Geralt's able to get Ciri. And they have the big hug at the end of the book, just like at the end of season one of the TV show. This all being to this, this is all to say that 
They felt like they needed to have a giant Battle of Game of Thrones style at the end of Season 1, which I am fine with by showing us the Battle of Sondon. And this is, if you listen to my commentary, I, I'm not only okay with it, but I was glad they did it because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in The Witcher that we hear about after the fact, but we don't actually see, or I guess read. And so, you know, doing the giant battle that did happen at that time when Ciri and Geralt were in the places that they were um, in both the book and, and, and um, you know, the pretty loyal retelling of their places in the series in those later episodes of season one. We know that the Battle of Sidon happened. We know that Yennefer and the Enchantresses, many of them gave their lives, were injured, almost died like Triss. You know, I think like 13 or 14 of them actually did die. Um, and uh, it was a big sacrifice from, from sorceresses who don't normally help the common folk. Um, but it was able to push back Nilfgaard's advance, um, the, you know, the evil Nilfgaard from the south. It pushed back their advance for a couple of years, essentially. And so, you know, this isn't a, a spoiler. Again, you guys have read Blood of Elves if you're this far, but of course there's a two-year time jump where they get Ciri to care more, and she grows up a little bit, starts to become a woman, they're training her in the Witcher ways, and all I talk about with Triss, where Triss comes and teaches her how to be a woman, and sort of dresses down the, the Witchers a little bit for not, you know, giving her, you know, space for her womanly needs um, and wants, occasionally at least, and, you know, training her too hard and but also recognizing that her, her you know, super Powered magic can't be controlled, and they need to get her somewhere um, where it can be controlled. Of course, then the voyage uh, with the dwarves, uh, Yarpen, who we, we've already met in both the book and the TV series, the crazy dwarves uh, on, the, on the, the dragon uh, mission, uh, episode six of the series, um, and uh, I guess in the sort of destiny. I think the first, I think the dragon story with the Yennefer and so forth, and the dwarves and the bad men are is the first story in the sort of destiny. Um, and uh, but now he, he he's you know as crass as always, but he's a good guy, and they have to work together, and they get injured, and 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 all that stuff, and and Geralt wants to get Siri to Nenica, um, at the temple of um I always forget what the temple is called, uh, the temple where Nenica is is called Elendor, um. Uh, and th- that was established in the short stories. Uh, that's actually where Carol and Dandelion are kind of hiding out as they recount the tales that they went through. So in the short story books, you know, it's it, we're hearing about the early days of, of Carol and Dandelion's adventures and misadventures together, um, but we're also seeing them in the quote-unquote present or closer to the present of, of the series saga um, as they're, you know, hanging out and recovering at, at Temple of, El- um, of Ellen with Nenica, who's a great priestess character, who, you know, likes the two of them against her, her better judgment, even Dandelion, she has to admit that she likes, and she can't understand why. Um, and so, of course, that would be someone they would trust, but again, like with Triss, it doesn't end up being a place where Siri can be trained. It's not enough. She's a priestess, is Nenica, and uh, it's not that she has no magical powers, or at least knowledge of magic, but it, it's clear that Yennefer is the one, and the book ends with, you know, Yennefer doing some training with Ciri and getting to know her, um, but ultimately she thinks Ciri has to go where she went, uh, which is uh, Aretuza, which is, you know, where the, um, you know, the it's like, you know, uh, Hogwarts for, for grown women uh, who want to become uh, sorceresses or try and become sorceresses. And so, you know, they head off... Uh, either at the end of the Blood of Elves or the beginning of Time of Contempt, they head off to Aretuza. And so, 
that's not really a great place to end the season after you had a giant, you know, Game of Thrones battle, um, maybe even bigger than most Game of Thrones battle at the end of season one. You know, the the very violent and and scary and you know. Um, uh, you know, uber sort of uh, dark and realistic way that the battle with the, with um, our good guys and the dwarves versus the bad guys I talked about with Yarpin is, you know, high action, high fantasy stuff. It's not enough to end the season on that, especially with sort of the postscript of going to the temple meeting and Yennefer, meeting Yennefer and so forth. You can't end a series like this on that. They have to keep stepping it up. Um, and it's going to be a challenge throughout the books because of the pacing of the books and who fo- who you're following and, you know, are you in the present? Are you being told stories about the past leading to the present? Continues to change book to book, and that's what makes it such a re-readable re- um, series is every book, while they follow one to the next in the way they should, um, you know, is telling the story in different ways from different perspectives, different people, um, and, uh, you know, it makes it just you know, every book has things that the other books don't have, even though it's a five book series. But, you know, Andrew Sapkowski, the writer, is not one to always have the giant battle at the end of each book. That's just not how he operates. Um, and so doing a TV show where you do kind of need a big climax at the end of each season and with a cliffhanger, um, you know, ideally you have to figure out, OK, how are we going to do this? Um, and the way they're going to do this, uh, in my opinion, uh, this is, you know, uh, this is my biggest prediction it, just in terms of the structure of season two. Um, I feel pretty strong about it. I have heard nothing along the lines that this will happen, but having gone through the book so many times and knowing where the big climax parts are and the big cataclysms, as I call them, are, you know, the big nexus, nexuses of, uh, of power, or destruction, coming together, breaking apart, whatever happened. Um, I, I feel that, well, they won't do two books in one season. They are going to go halfway through the time of contempt. And, um, I'm going to talk more about this in a future podcast um, because my other predictions already went uh, much longer. Um, But, you know, chapters three and four of Time and Contempt are the key chapters of the series. Um, And what happens is, for the first few chapters, uh, Geralt and Ciri and Yennefer are at Eretuza, you know, with the sorceresses, um, or they get there, and they're sort of relaxed, and, you know, they, they let their guard down. And it's represented best in a really, really memorable chapter three, where Yennefer takes Geralt to the first sort of big official dinner with all the politicians who were there and all the mages and sorceresses who are there. And there's leaders from the north and advisors to leaders from the north, like Dijkstra. Um, and uh, you've got Tasaya, you know, who trained Yennefer, who's the, the rectorist, the head of, of Eratuzda. And you've got um, Philippa Eilhart and all these other enchantresses who are super important, good, bad, and otherwise, um, and political leaders. And, of course, Geralt absolutely hates it. There's not enough food for him. It's too fancy. He's hungry. Everyone's politicking and trying to get, you know, information out of him. And he's just so annoyed. And all he wants to do is spend time with Yennefer. Um, and, and Yennefer's actually very patient with him at this point because she, you know, is proud, you know, that they're together and, and is cool that it's public. And it's the first time he says, I love you to her. 
and it's the first time she says it back. It's a big moment, and you're thinking, wow, this is great. Everyone's getting together, and, the, you know, the, the magic folks and the political folks, and you got, you know, Geralt representing the Witchers, um, and uh, and also sort of, side note, representing, you know, the dryads of just nature in general through just who he is um, and who he's allied with, and you've got Yennefer. Everything seems great. And then he has a talk with the sorcerer, the young, great-looking sorcerer who keeps popping up and seems to be everywhere important and always on people's lips, and no one can point their finger on it with Vilgefortz. And uh, Dijkstra, who is the top advisor to one of the northern kings, um, but he, the northern king uh, at this point um, from, I think it's Tamaria, um, uh, one of the more important northern kingdoms, um, is essentially the ruler because uh, the 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 father who was the king, uh, you know, is dead, and so it's one of those you have a caretaker of the throne uh, until that um, you know uh, uh, prince or I guess king in the waiting is old enough and mature enough uh, to become uh, the king. <laughs> He's a complicated character, Dijkstra uh, or Dijkstra. I have to mention though because he tells Geralt. Be, watch out, that guy Vilgefortz is going to talk to you at some point tonight, and we don't know what he's about. And he keeps coming up, and you know there's something weird about him. And Gerald's like, "Oh no, you know he doesn't care about me. I'm sick of talking to all of you. I just want to go and be with Yennefer. Fuck all this." Um, and of course, Yennefer can read his mind, and Gerald gets mad about it. But you know, it's mostly love and positive thoughts about Yennefer, so it's you know it's not so bad. And and she, of course, you know, enjoys that he's so madly in love with her, um, as she should and as he should be. Um, but what Dijkstra says happens almost immediately thereafter, where. Um, no, you know, he runs into Vilgefortz, or they go outside, or something, and it's just the two of them. And Vilgefortz, you know, starts his charismatic, uh, smiling self, but then goes deeper and deeper into his past and telling Geralt how dark it was and how evil his parents were and uh, where his magic comes from. And, you know, he starts really ripping into Geralt for, you know, speaking in, in platitudes and half-truths, which, of course, is what uh, um, Vilgefortz is doing. Is But, you know, he puts it all on Geralt. And then he does the hard sell on Geralt, which is the come join me. He doesn't say what his plans are. He doesn't even say who he's working for. But he's basically like, I've got plans. I'm the most powerful guy here. And... Uh, you should really come join me uh, while you still have a chance. The Witcher, of course, uh, tells him to fuck off, essentially. Um, and that is that. Um, and that's chapter three, uh, the big, um, you know, ball, uh, dinner, banquet, whatever you want to call it. It's re- very reminiscent of in Dune, halfway through, uh, or no, less than halfway through. Halfway through the first of the three books that make up the first book of Dune, whatever you want to call it, Act 1, uh, is the big political dinner where we have the Atreides, who are still in power on Dune uh, slash um, Arrakis, uh, but you have all these people from the Trade um, Federation or whatever they're called in the different houses, and it's a very long political chapter that's very Game of Thronesy. Um, you know, Game of Thrones took a lot from Dune. And, you know, it's it's obvious that the, the Witcher writer did as well. Um, and it's sort of one of those, you can tell politicking is going on, but you don't understand to what level. Now, now I mentioned in uh, prediction number three about the politics that there's, in the Blood of Elves, there's a, 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 at least a couple long scenes of the kings and queens 
of the North politicking um, and talking about, you know, the situation. And the two things they basically decide on is Siri has to be killed because she's dangerous. And if she's still alive, she must go so that they can take over Sintra and expand their lands. And, you know, and just one more, uh, you know, possible... Um, uh, not enemy, but you know, uh, w- one possible source of trouble gets Syria out of the way, um, and the other one is let's manufacture an excuse to now go after Nilfgaard after they uh, unsuccessfully attacked us. You know, they don't mention that the the, the good sorceresses left le- led by Trish and Yennefer, Tris and Yennefer saved them, and not that they didn't save themselves. But now they're going to manufacture a reason, and this is revisited in book two as well. Um, they're going to manufacture reasons to go after Nilfgaard. And what Yennefer and Geralt don't realize is that uh, people like Dijkstra and some of the uh, other sorceresses, um, uh, like uh, Tasaya, who runs Eretuza, um, and some of the other uh, some of the other sorcerers. Uh, excuse me. Some of the other sorceresses there, like Philippa Eilhart, um, who's kind of Dijkstra's pet sorceress slash love interest, at least in his brain, uh, you know. But she, of course, as usual, she's using him as much or more than he's using her. But a bunch of them f- find out or suspect heavily that Vilgefortz uh, and some of his people are actually working for the Emperor of Nilfgaard and are there as at best spies but probably saboteurs assassins and so forth and they have to go and so there's a putsch as they call it there's a coup starting in chapter 4 and it takes Yennefer and Geralt totally by surprise Ciri's already left the campus you know she's always physically and mentally off the reservation at the wrong time uh, Yennefer runs after Ciri tells her to get the hell out of there um, and you know Yennefer's gonna protect you know her her departure to the extent that she can Geralt of course is going to do the same and everyone kind of gets separated and you know it, it, it turns out that Vilgefortz was actually an agent of uh, even though Vilgefortz you know led the the defense in the Battle of Sodden as we saw in season one of The Witcher he was he did it as a um, uh, as sort of a double blind um, a double agent uh, m- maneuver working for the Emperor of Nilfgaard um, but what they don't see, uh, the people I mentioned Dijkstra and Philippa and so forth who go after uh, 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 Vilgefortz and the Skoyatile who I mentioned, the sort of, e- the sort of r- evil roguish elves and, and, and you know some of Vilgefortz's people but Vilgefortz is at the top what they don't realize and what the, em- the Emperor doesn't even realize is that Vilgefortz has been working for himself the whole time in terms of power um, which it should be mentioned, the reward for you know infiltrating and ruining the northern kingdoms from within, uh, which is thwarted here temporarily, <laughs> that the emperor promised Vilgefortz basically to rule the north, uh, you know, under the under the aegis of uh, of the emperor, but you know to be sort of the you know mini emperor of the north. Vilgefortz doesn't care about that. He cares about Siri like everyone else and wants the power of the elder blood. And so it turns out that he's working at, at for himself. And Vilgefortz does get away. He is injured um, uh, somewhat badly on his way out by, I think, Siri or Yennefer. Um, let's see, Vilgefortz confront Geralt. Siri's uh, there in the tower. Vilgefortz repeats his offer to Geralt to join the quote-unquote willing side, winning side. Geralt refuses. 
Um, Geralt gets his ass kicked. Vilgefort's actually used as like a staff. He doesn't even use like a s- real weapon. He beats the shit out of Geralt. Doesn't kill him. Um, and then he enters the the Tower of the Gauls, which is important. Uh, we'll say for later. Um, and Siri escapes through an ancient magical port portal. Um, and uh, it collapses the tower and leaves Vilgefort's face badly scarred. So this, you know, beautiful young charismatic mage is now fully evil and looks gonna look evil as well. But it, it's too late for the good guys at this point because um, he uses good looks, charisma, charm, and uh, you know, uh, uh, manipulation, uh, superpowers, or whatever you want to call them, to get to this point. The whole point being is everybody's wrong or unaware. The real good guys, Yennefer and Geralt, and of course Ciri by extension, have no idea that any of this is going to happen. And Dykstra and Philippa and their and Tessaia, sorry, I need to take that back. Tessaia sides with Vilgefort. So Tessaia has sided with Vilgefort at the Battle of Sodden, which they show in season. Uh, it's very smartly. It's very quick, but you know when Tessaia in episode seven and eight of the first season on TV on uh, Netflix try, is con- trying to convince her former student um, uh, Yennefer to join their cause in defending against Nilfgaard and you know <laughs> this great-looking mage who seems like a good guy who came out of nowhere at the time Vilgefortz and Tessaia says I'm going to join Vilgefortz and so you know up until this point when the the coup happens in the middle chapter of Time of Contempt chapter four again. Um, you know, it has uh, d- defends Vilgefortz even further because the, the other mages that are there are supposed to remain neutral, um, like Philippa Eilhart and so forth, um, or Yennefer. Uh, and uh, let's just say, not long thereafter, when Tessaia realizes how very wrong she is, um, she does not think she should live anymore um and does something really bad to herself not that much longer after this it's very quick and very sad um but you know this is exactly exactly the place to end the season and i'll stop here because you know not only is there huge battles with weapons and magic you know across all of Eretuza and the island and the bridge and this beautiful crazy um you know magical kingdom mini kingdom or whatever the hogwarts for for adults um but this is when the heroes are scattered so you end with a giant battle full reveal of vilcaforts how powerful he is that he's working for himself that everyone is going after siri for different reasons that the political folks uh, you know again are going to try and manipulate war against nilfgaard that you know emperor mir who seems to have everything going his way and have vilcaforts on his side never did and Vilgefortz has much bigger plans and on top of everything and most importantly in terms of the cliffhanger is the heroes are scattered Ciri goes again off into the woods and, and on her own Geralt again gets injured you know Yennefer disappears turns out she becomes a, a prisoner later on and this is where you know I don't, I'm not going to go into books three and four yet but it's hard to know what they're going to do with Yennefer after what I just described in the middle of book two because she only comes in and out very irregularly but as one of the main three cast with the amazing Anya Chalotra, um, and just the, the love of Yennefer and the fact that she's considered one of the mains um, through all lore um, by fans, 
um, old and new, they're going to find ways to, to work her in and see her more episode to episode. Um, I just don't know how, but this is exactly the way to end it. Um, you know, this is the, you know, it's like you can't do this in movies like Marvel movies, but, you know, imagine if, you know, Avengers 1 was a two-parter and it ended with the helicarrier scene where, you know, the Hulk destroys everything, tries to kill Natasha, and Loki manipulates everybody and ejects his brother and, you know, to- and... Uh, the helicarrier is, you know, crashing towards the ground before Cap and Iron Man start working together to save it and before the Avengers come together in the Battle of New York. It'd be as if you stopped it right there, which you can't do in a movie, um, usually, um, unless it's, you know, Infinity War Part 1 and 2, the final Avengers movies, I suppose, um, like a two-parter, you know, ahead of time, um, uh, or the Empire Strikes Back, which very specifically was supposed to be all... I mean, that's the that's the comparison here. And I'll let you guys go as Empire Strikes Back. This is, you know, is you know, if you just do the Blood of Elves, you're doing a New Hope. Star, Star Wars A New Hope. And the good guys are kind of winning at the end, seemingly. Like when they destroy the Death Star 1 at the end of New Hope. But if you go through 1 and then half or a little bit more of Book 2 into the coup that I'm talking about and Vilgefortz being uh, uh, unmasked and revealed as the real big, big, big baddie. If you hadn't figured it out yet, is like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, Han Solo in the Carbonite, Han, uh, Luke almost dying against Vader, mentally he's traumatized, learning it's his father, barely getting away, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's exactly the way you want to end the season. And it's actually the best cliffhanger, even though it's in the middle of the second book. If you make this a cliffhanger, it's the best cliffhanger that I'm aware of uh, in the entire series, if they do it that way. Now, the end of book four has a pretty awesome uh, battle and cliffhanger uh, leading into the final book, Lady of the Lake. I also want to point out, um, if this seems like a lot for one season... Uh, in terms of material, I do want to point out that, you know, the final book, Lady of the Lake, is extremely long. It's like almost 600 pages. But every other book, including the short story books, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, are between 350 and 400, with very big print, um, as opposed to most fantasy and science fiction books, which are like twice that length or more, with tiny print. And so, if they're able to do eight episodes working in so loyally the important stories in The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny for a combined, you know, 800 pages or whatever, then doing the 350 to 400 pages of Blood of Elves, and then half of Time of Contempt, which is, you know, 150. Let me see where the, the coup actually goes to. I got the book right here. So the coup chapter, chapter four, um, starts on page 153 and goes to about 200. So you're still a couple hundred pages short of the combined page length of the short story books that made season one. Meaning, if they can make 800 pages work in eight episodes of the first season with so much introduction and ground to cover, then a character-building book like Blood of Elves and then a crazy action, cataclysm, set piece with the heroes scattered, with the beginning of Time of Contempt, you can certainly do, especially if they go ten episodes, which I think they're going to, and I hope they do, not just eight. They, um, and, you know, people, if they haven't read the books in particular, their minds are going to be blown, even if they've started suspecting who 
who the good guys and bad guys are, other than Vilgefort. After that coup, uh, you know, we're rooting for Yennefer, Geralt, and Ciri, but we don't really know who the good guys and bad guys are. We thought Tessia was a good guy, but she sided with Vilgefort, and we thought maybe Philippa was a good guy. It depends, you know, how you feel about, you know, actively working against Nilfgaard, and, you know, maybe Nilfgaard is, is actually not worse than the Northern Kingdoms, which are plotting to do also horrible things to Ciri, potentially worse things. The Emperor wants to marry Ciri, which is gross, because it's his daughter, spoiler alert, um, but he certainly doesn't want to kill her, um, whereas the Northern Kingdoms just want to murder her and take over, you know, her kingdom uh, of what's left of Sintra, um, kill the poor lion cub. <laughs> They've got no shot at that. We'll get to that later. So, um, I'll end there. I could talk about this subject forever. Maybe I'll do a separate podcast. I know it's super long, this last one, um, but, uh, you know, I thought it was important to get this on the Z record, um, because this is what I would do, and so far, Lauren Hisrick, showrunner, and her team has shown exactly the material to take directly, and the material that needs to be modified, and what even to add occasionally, or, again, like the Battle of Sodden at the end of season one, show us lore that's not directly in the book, but is referenced in the book, and happens that way, it just isn't you know, it's described that way in the book, like the way we see the Battle of Helm's Deep in Two Towers. Um, but here they, they gave it to us in Season 1, and thank God it was glorious. And it's just going to be more glorious going forward. So hope you enjoyed this. Hope you and yours are doing as well as possible, given the situation. Um, I'll be coming back at you with more Witcher stuff soon. Hope you enjoyed my first Top 5 predictions. Um, uh, I'll come, I have some more predictions coming up and I start the Witcher book club with my friends who are starting to work their way through the books. I, if you're here this long, I've hoped you've at least read the first and or second book and get through the whole series. It's worth it. It's going to be so long for the next season and they're going to have enough new surprises, you know, that, you know, unless you really want zero spoilers, it, it's worth reading the books. Um, but if you want to wait, then wait and read the books afterwards. Uh, but I, I truly believe they're the best fantasy books ever written. Um, and I'm a Tolkien guy through and through, love Lord of the Rings. Uh, but for a modern sensibility, you can't beat these books um, with how relevant the, uh, the political situations are and how relatable the characters are, even this bizarre fantasy scenario. So thank you again so much. Coming back at you soon, may the force be with you. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.